I'm Jeremy. I'm the pastor at Two Rivers, and uh, it's been a real pleasure for us to be uh, doing the service last night and this morning uh, together with Friendship. It's always a little odd to have Christmas on a Sunday. I mean, even though it happens, I don't know, however many years. But uh, this morning, I don't know how you got here. Some of you are still in pajamas. All right. Some of y'all are dressed up. Uh, some of y'all been up early. Some of y'all just scrambled out the door. But this morning, we're going to meditate on one verse. This was one of our, part of one of our readings last night. And we're just going to spend our time camped out there in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God gives His Word to us so that we can know Him and love Him. So let's pray that He will speak by it. Father, as we turn to Your Word, we do pray that You would speak through Your Spirit. For this is how Your Spirit speaks to the church now, is through Your Word. But by His power, illuminating it. By His power, opening our ears to hear it. Opening our hearts to receive it. Lord, it's not my words, it's not our collective wisdom, but rather we know that you speak to us as one who wants to be heard, who longs to draw us near. So Lord, speak, for we're listening. In Christ's name, amen. At this point, by Christmas morning, I don't know about you, but I am usually starting to wear a little thin on all of the Christmas movies, on all the Christmas specials, on all the Christmas music. I mean, some people can go like 12 months a year on that stuff, you know? Uh, at this point, I'm usually wearing a little thin. Of course, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that purport to be Christmas movies, by the way. Uh, because they're set at Christmas. So there's a lot of people who would tell you their favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard or Gremlins because they happen to be set there. A little bit more PG uh, are plenty of rom-coms, right, that are set then Hallmark has made a killing on, on just cranking out these movies over the last few years, right? The irony is most of those movies ha don't really have anything to do with Christmas. It's a convenient setting. It's a setting, of course, that has a certain kind of uh, aura of magic about it. Uh, it gets its sentimental hooks in us. Even, if I dare say, It's a Wonderful Life, the sort of quintessential Christmas movie, could be set at any time of the year. It's a great movie. I love it. It's wonderful. But it could be said at any time of the year. What's, what's weird about Christmas specials and Christmas movies, though, is every once in a while they stop and they tell us, well, that's what Christmas is all about. It's all about being with your family. Uh, it's all about being with someone you love. Maybe it's about 
listening to your heart and following it. I think we've all heard these, right, at some way, in some way, shape, or form through a movie. And while those messages may be maybe good in some ways, maybe some of them need a little qualification, but they may be fine in and of themselves, the Scripture tells us that Christmas is about something different. It may lead us to love others better. Christmas may lead us to listen to somebody's heart, maybe not always our own, but (laughs) someone else's heart. But it tells us that it is about a word God has given. John 1 uses a, a unique description of Jesus. It calls Him the Word. Or more specifically, it calls the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Word of God. Of course, that Word takes on flesh, and it is Jesus, the one that we are celebrating the birth of this morning. But that Word, that idea of the Word, (laughs) the Word, the Word, had a couple different clear connotations to it for John's readers. For those who were, had a Greco-Roman background, especially with Greek philosophy, the idea of the Word is, it gets at what is the meaning and the purpose of all things. For those who had a Jewish background, the idea that in the beginning there was a Word sounds a whole lot like Genesis 1 and how God spoke everything into existence by the power of His Word. And so, as, as John is introducing this, he uses that evocative term to describe who the Son of God is. He is the Word. He is the Word who has come. And, and yet, Hebrews 1 picks up this idea and I think helps us to understand maybe most clearly what John is saying, because at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, we hear this, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And what we hear in this passage is that God is telling us who He is. That in sending His Son, He is showing us who He is. And we'll see two things. He shows us His glory and His grace and truth. His glory and His grace and truth. As John talks about this Word, he says that it became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. That doesn't sound like especially highfalutin language, but because we're just reading it in the English. In the, the Greek term for dwelt among us means to set up your tent. It's the term that in Greek would have described what God did back in the Exodus. Do you remember this story? Many of you will know it. When God called Israel out of Egypt, He called them out and they had to wander in the wilderness. They were in tents, not knowing where they were going, and He told them to build Him a tent. That would be right in the middle of their camp. We call this the tabernacle. That's the term for it. Uh, Later, there would be a temple, but 
While Israel was wandering in tents, God was in a tent with them. So the idea that He came to, to dwell with them, that the, that the Word dwells with them, implies that He is with them in their midst. And yet it also was the place, the tabernacle was the place of God's glory. When they, when they built the tabernacle, the pillar of fire and smoke went into it, into the inner room that was there called the Holy of Holies. That's where God's glory dwelt, and no one could go in it. So on the one hand, God's glory was in their midst, and there were times when there were fireworks because of that, <laughs> against Israel's enemies, but also at times against people within Israel themselves when they were rebelling against God. It was powerful. It was a little dangerous. Maybe a little is putting it mildly. To say that, that the Word came and dwelt among them is to say that like God did with the tabernacle in the wilderness, He has come to be in their midst, and He is showing His glory through Jesus. Jesus is or has the glory of God in the flesh. I don't know if you know what that term glory means. It's kind of a churchy word, isn't it? People use that term. It's, in the, it's all over the place in the Bible. <laughs> and so, of course, in churches we talk about that, but what do we mean? Uh, the images associated with God's glory all throughout the Bible are images of fire and light. Uh, of course, fire gives off light, so that makes a certain amount of sense, doesn't it? But God leads them in a pillar of fire and smoke. And, that, and yet, when… So, God is, God is always veiling in some, to some degree His glory, but when people see it, it is, well, Paul calls it unapproachable light. Because also, going back to Exodus, you may remember the story that Moses would sometimes go into God's presence, and he came back out, and it was like his face had kind of residual radiation on it. People couldn't even look at him. They had to, he had to put on a veil for a time until it sort of wore off. God dwells in unapproachable light is what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Uh, he is the father of heavenly lights from, in James. In, in, in 1 Peter, he, we're told that Jesus has delivered us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, the, the, the primary image is of light, of something so blindingly beautiful. We can, hardly, we can hardly stand to look at it. And yet, when we think about the idea of glory, the words for that are, are important in in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word kavod would mean something that is weighty, significant. The Greek word doxa means something that is worthy, or implies its worthiness. In other words, all the images of light, follow, follow me here, all the images of light are telling us that that is a manifestation of His character. It's a sort of tangible experience of what it's like to meet Him 
in person. One theologian puts it this way, and this is a really, it's a really great few lines here. Glory is the beauty of God unveiled. Glory is the resplendent radiance of His power and His personality. And this is a mouthful. Glory is the external elegance of the internal excellencies of God. The external elegance of the internal excellencies of God. Glory is what you see and experience when God goes public with His beauty. The glory of God is the beauty of His character, which is why it's not strange in particular that it could be in the flesh. Because the light was just an external representation of the truth of His character. I mean, let's, we're talking about baby this morning, right? And babies are cute, and babies are beautiful, but we've all seen a newborn baby, or most of us have seen a newborn baby. They're a little alien-like. They're beautiful in their own way, but they're a little alien-like. It takes a little while for them to acclimate to life outside the womb. And more than that, though, we're told that Jesus Himself, this was another one of our readings last night in Isaiah 53, had no beauty that we should desire Him. Nobody who met and talked with Jesus thought, well, He's particularly, there's some real glow about this guy, you know, this is, they weren't impressed. He was a carpenter from the middle of nowhere. That's what they thought He was. As he started to teach, they started to realize other things. As he started to perform miracles, they started to ask other questions. But it wasn't that his appearance was particularly strange. It was in his character. It was in the way that he loved even the least of these that the glory of God shone forth. You see, the reason that Jesus is known to be God by His followers, and it takes them a while to realize this, doesn't it, is because He doesn't th- says the things only God could say and do. But more than that, that He loves the lost. And so the character of God shines forth in Jesus. It is the beauty of His character that is the invitation to us. This is true whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you've never really considered it before. What is on offer this morning is the beauty of God, the glory of God in the Son. And I know that there's a lot of things to have questions about. And look, you can be a Christian for a long time and still have a lot of doubts and still have a lot of concerns and still have a lot weighing on you. Or you might be here and you're asking all of those things actively and you're not really sure if you're a Christian. Maybe you'd even know you're not. What is on offer is not a program. It is the one who is the glory of God in the flesh. It's Jesus Himself. All those other things 
are secondary. It is to know Jesus that is our hope, the one who is God in the flesh. So as Jesus shows up, what we see is God's glory, but we see it particularly in the expression of grace and truth. Did you notice that phrase? He came as the one who, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He picks up that phrase later, a couple verses later, and he, he will contrast it by saying, Moses came to give the law, but Jesus came to give grace and truth. Now, what, now John is not saying that the law is bad. The law as it is, is good. It's an expression of God's character. (laughs) It's an expression of His glory. The law is good. The problem isn't the law. The problem's with us trying to keep the law. Instead, Jesus comes full of grace and truth. There's There's a grammatical term for a concept where you take two, two ideas, but they form kind of one concept. You might say, I, you know, it's been so cold lately. You might say something like, uh, how, are you, how are you all doing? You say, well, I'm nice and warm. You're communicating one concept, right? You're warm and you're happy and you're doing okay. Uh, there are lots of other terms that come up this way. And grace and truth is being used... The fancy term is a hendiatus, when they were taking two terms, but using them to communicate one concept. He is full of grace and, grace and truth. It should be kind of hyphenated together, right? Grace and truth. If we were German speakers, it would all be one word. Full of grace and truth. Because the way in which His glory is known is by this character, is that He is gracious to you and me. God is known by His grace. And it is His grace that started this whole thing. I mean, think, think on this, if you will. If God knows everything, God has planned everything, then it means that before creation, he understood what it would cost him to save us. Before all creation, before he had spoken a word, he knew what it would cost him. It would cost him his son. And there's lots of all very helpful ways to think about this. Think about what it means for the Father and the Son who have been together, wrapped in wonder, love, and praise for eternity with one another, what it means for the Father to have sent the Son. Not just to come in the flesh, not just to endure the sorrows and weaknesses of this world, but for the mission that he was on, 
to lay down his life. Think about what it meant for the son to have been wrapped in all of those external excellencies of his glory from eternity. And even as our call to worship said this morning, to empty himself of all of that. You know, we have a hard time adjusting once we've maybe taken a step up in life. Maybe, you know, maybe if you've been in a place where you didn't have much and you start to have a little bit more, you get used to living life a certain way, don't you? Of having a little bit more, being able to buy some things that are a little nicer. It's so hard to take a step down from that. Think about, just think about how far down that step would be for the Son of God. It's infinite. I can't even possibly quanti- you know, quantify that for you. It is an infinite step down. And that is what he has done for us. And all of this, not merely, again, to show up like one of us, but to do what we all have failed to do. Jesus, above everybody, loved the law of Moses. And he lived the perfect life on our behalf. And then he gave that life up on our behalf. You see, the grace of Jesus is the defining characteristic of Jesus. The grace that we find in Jesus is, if you will, the defining characteristic of the glory of God. Not merely that He loves us, but of the lengths He would go to bring us to Himself. The lengths He would go for you when you were lost in sin. The lengths He goes to bring back sinners like you and me. I mean, that is scandalous. It makes us deeply uncomfortable. I mean, maybe you're here and you're not even so sure you like the idea of thinking of yourself as a sinner. But everybody is trying to measure up in some way. Measure up to some standard even if we're not so keen on the law of Moses. (laughs) We know we don't measure up. And even if you've been a Christian for a long time and you know about His grace and maybe even have experienced His grace, isn't it strange how we like to think of ourselves as people who are in less and less need of that grace? as time goes on. What a lie. What a trap. In fact, 
what a turning away from Jesus that is. You see, the freedom of the gospel is not that we are those who need less and less of God's grace. It is that we are those who grow more and more into an understanding and a grasp of His grace, who start to understand more and more of the depths of our own sin as time goes on, not growing in the delusion that we don't need, that we don't have sin, or that we have less and less of it, but rather growing in our knowledge of it, but growing equally and more in our knowledge and appreciation that Jesus has supplied everything that we need, gave it all for us on the cross, that He has given everything we need in living the perfect life so that we have His righteousness, but more than that, by sending the power of His Spirit so that not only is the record counted to us, but that we are changed by His Spirit, becoming like Him. That is the power of what He means to do in our lives. That's what it means to grow in grace. That's what it means to know the glory of God manifest in His grace. There's plenty of reason to be guilty on Christmas morning. Plenty of reasons. Did we buy enough? Enough gifts? Did we buy too many? Did we spend enough time with everybody that we were supposed to spend enough time to? Did we not get enough time to ourselves? Did we really get to enjoy that feast or did we overdo it? There are lots of things to feel guilty about. Maybe, maybe this morning you are already on that treadmill thinking about all the things that you should have done this way or that. Could have been better this way. Could have been that. All the things that you wish would have gone just so and you didn't quite pull it off. Well, Jesus is full of grace. Even for you this morning. You know, my... I still think one of the greatest Christmas specials is the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And I'll tell you why. Because the moment that it talks about the meaning of Christmas, it does a lot of the things like bemoan the, uh, the, the excesses of the Christmas season does a lot of things bemoaning so the commercialization of Christmas, all these sorts of things, which is fine, and it's not wrong. But the moment of realization is when Charlie Brown gets to the end of his rope. You know, the 10-year-old that's balding, Charlie Brown. And, you know, they put him in charge of the pageant, and of course... He's the worst person to be in charge of the pageant, and he can't pull it off, and nobody respects him, and everybody's frustrated. If they send him for a tree and he comes back with, you know, this twig (laughs) on a stand, basically, and then he finally is kind of at the end of his rope, and he says, I guess, he turns to his friend Linus, says, Linus, I guess you were right. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. 
And he yells at the top of his lungs, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And that's the moment. Do you remember this? You probably do. When Linus, who is way more secure because he can actually admit he needs a security blanket. (laughs) That's when he quotes from Luke 2. The good tidings of great joy that the Lord has arrived. Because the moment, it's it's such a great moment because it meets Charlie Brown in the realization of his own limits and his own failings and his own problems. This morning, that's where you will meet Jesus. Jesus. It was when you come to him as one who is full of grace and truth, who reveals the glory of God in all of its power and all of its brilliance and all of its beauty by his grace. The grace of God is what upholds us. The grace of God is our hope because the one who showed up as a baby is not just cute. It's not just interesting, but it's full of grace and truth, even for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for your willingness to send him to earth, to take on flesh, to give his life. We thank you for his willingness to lay down his life. And we thank you that it was not in vain, but that he took it back up. We praise you that we meet not a God who is distant and cold, but who is full of grace and truth. Remind us this morning, remind us today, that in Jesus, We have everything that we need. In Jesus, we have all the grace of God. Keep us close, we pray, to Jesus. In his name, amen.